That's just good stuff right there. You know, the, the older I get, the more I'm interested in the stories in the scripture. The stories. I was fortunate to get a decent education and I did a lot of studying. And back in those days, we would talk about things we were interested in. Things in scripture that captivated our interest. Language studies and da da da. And it, and it was good and we had great discussions and we were young and we bannered things back and forth. But I don't think it transformed very many people. Now, I get so, uh, I guess, captivated and motivated when I see certain stories and I, uh, I read how people were transformed in the scriptures. I want to talk tonight about my favorite apostle, one of Jesus' good boys, like they say, and that's Peter. Um, what I'm going to do, I don't have a ton of comments to make, but I want to put the scripture together in such a way that you see a story here, a real progression in this man's life. And uh, so we're going to read some, some scripture and uh, let the scriptures just speak to us. In Matthew 26, Jesus and his boys were gathered in the uh, upper room going through the Last Supper. Jesus makes some comments as he gives to them the bread and the cup. And then in verse 30 it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. If this man just knew in a short few moments what he was going to do. But right now, he is so bold. If all fall away, I will never. I'll die with you. I wonder sometimes what it is about the very weakness we struggle with. We shout out so loudly. That isn't my problem. <laughs> Matthew 26, 56, after Jesus was arrested, says... They all fled. That didn't take much time at all. It took just a few moments. He made those comments. Eventually, Judas comes up, kisses him, betrays him. The temple guards, you know, there's a scuffle. Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus heals it, which should have just stopped the whole process, but and um, they fall away. They just run. Now, after Jesus is arrested, Peter hears and sees some very, you know, terrible things. In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 57, it says, 
Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. I know he fled. I still think maybe he's thinking he can hold it together or find out what's going on and still you know, redeem this night. But they condemn Jesus. They ask him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am. The priest tore his shirt, his robe. They spit on him. And they beat him with their fists. And I think about now, Peter's probably in near shock. And then this happens. In Luke 22, beginning in verse 54, it says, They seized him, led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at him. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Goodness. This scripture kills me because right when Peter said, I do not know him. They were leading Jesus from one tribunal to another. He turned and he looked him right in the eye. I can't even imagine. Let me ask you a question. Who are these books written for? They're written for us, right? Peter didn't need it. I mean, everything happened before it was all written down. He was long down the road to everything straightening out. But put yourself in his shoes for a minute. <clears throat> You've walked closely with God himself in the flesh for three years. You've experienced the most intense things ever. You've watched Jesus calm storms. You've seen him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, feed thousands out of nearly nothing, restore hearing to the deaf. You've watched him as he raised the dead. You stood on a mountain and you saw Elijah and Moses. You've led him into your heart. You bowed your knee and proclaimed, you are my Lord and my God. <laughs> and now, you just denied him. I'm going to read Matthew's account of the same thing. In Matthew 26, beginning in 69, it says this. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't 
know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, two different accounts for two different reasons. The one brought out the point Jesus looked him right in the eye. This one gives his vigorous denial where he is just cursing and swearing and yelling. I Know him, me, blee. And it's, man, you get a different picture and you want to go, wow. I mean, it's one thing to just say, I don't know him, I don't know him. But no, he just rails. I do not know him. So how do you feel now? I wonder if these words come to mind. I've blown everything. This is unforgivable. I'll never recover from this. Can you imagine how utterly desolate the self-loathing, the wailing, the mental exhaustion? I think we've all been there. <laughs> Felt unredeemable, worthless, powerless, eyes swollen, snot-filled nose, bone-tired, filled with dread. I have. The real question is, can we be forgiven? Can we find strength and healing? Will Peter overcome this? Because if he can, we can. And here is a real nugget. I like Luke's account of Jesus predicting Peter's denial. In Luke 22, 31, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he replied, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now, once again, I ask, who again are these books written for? They're written for us. In John 20, in beginning verse 30, John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. <laughs> These books were written so we could believe and have life. Now, can you tell me what does Jesus do for us now? <clears throat> the very same thing he did for Peter. In Hebrews Chapter 7, in verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. 
So when you are standing on the precipice of making a mistake, he's prayed for you before you did it. Romans 8, beginning in verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. John 2, beginning in verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The very same thing. You who have said yes to Jesus may falter, but you will not fail. Ah, uh, you didn't hear me. <laughs> you who have said yes to Jesus may falter, but what, Pa? You will not fail. Okay, we got to go back to Romans 8 real quick. Let's look at the whole package in that verse. 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He got you from the beginning to the end, and you're not even at the end yet. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, if we really believe that. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all things, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to these verses. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor the angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It you can think of one more thing to add to that list, let me know. <laughs> A little personal aside, Joey prayed what he heard, that I have had some struggles. We have some men's time, we, you know, just texting, so he knows. And, he, and I don't care that he prayed I know, from his heart. 
we have seasons, Miss Debbie, if you remember, some months ago, and the Lord had me in a season. I should say a seized in. <laughs> and it takes a while sometimes. And I, look, I'm, I love this family. <clears throat> when I, I was going to a place for a few years called Hope, Mark Elliott was leading that. We had great worship. And I thought after that disbanded, I'll never find another family. And wow, I mean, the Lord says, oh, I got something really good in store for you now. So this is awesome. And a lot of us live a lot of life together and in and out and this group and that group. And we're helping here. And, um, and we go through seasons and we watch each other do that. And thank God, finally, I came to the place where I went, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? He is the Lord of all creation. And my little problem, he can handle it. And it took me forever to get there. A season. But when you do, it's like Peter. I mean, I know. We'll come back to him in a minute. But you, you wonder, how could I have been where I was before? I mean, it's God blowing into you his power and greatness. And it's incredible. And then you just say, I... I'm just glad to be out of it. I hope you heard those verses in Romans 8 because it's telling you this. You who are in Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, are forever connected with the Father. I didn't grow up always believing that. That weren't our doctrine. And it just were wrong. You who are connected with Christ, who are filled with his Holy Spirit, are forever connected with the Father. Now someone might say, well, you teach that, and you'll just teach people to sin that grace may abound. You know what? Bring on the charge. Do you know you're <laughs> preaching the gospel when people say you're teaching people to sin that grace may abound? You know what? You know and I know when you hear that message, the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. And you know that. And the people in here know it. Uh, the folks who respond that way have yet to experience the grace of God. Because when they do, they won't say those things. They just won't say those things. So you are forever connected. And you may not always feel that way. And God doesn't really care about your emotional state every day. He's not letting go, and he knows you'll get through it because I know there are times when I think, wow, I blew it, and this is forever a blow it. I'm sorry. When you read Romans 8, you cannot say that. You just can't. And you might feel it, but it's just not true. It's just not true. <laughs> Nothing will sustain you, motivate you, draw you back, and sanctify you, but that assurance that nothing will separate me from the love of God. So here's Peter, and he has just blown it. And he is weeping, the scriptures say, bitterly, bitterly, and probably feeling unforgivable. His emotions are raw, and he can't see the fact that he firmly belongs to Jesus. Right now in his mind, he's blown his testimony. 
40 days, he'll preach the greatest sermon ever recorded. But right now, he has blown his testimony, okay? The story unfolds. Jesus is beaten, crucified, and then comes the blown open, tomb-emptying resurrection. And that those stories are great to read. We're, I want to read one of those stories in Mark 16. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I just saw a ghost. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into get wait what say that again but go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you tell me one more time who were these books written for for whom were these books written I should say forget all that they were written for who I know Miss Grammatical. They were written for who? So who is speaking in this tomb? An angel. Angelos. It's a direct crossover from the Greek. It just means what? Messenger, right? Who is he a messenger of? He's, he's the messenger straight from Jesus. So he's not speaking his own message, right? He's speaking the message the Lord wants him to speak. So what did he say? Go tell his disciples and Peter. That's not an aside. That's not incidental. That is the Lord saying, when you are down and out, I'll call you by name. I'll call you by name. Go tell the refuge and me. and me. You're struggling. Oh, I have a message for the refuge and pop. We don't want to forget pop. I have a message for the refuge and Kathy. I have a message for you. That's powerful. We blow right over that. But go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, I just love that. Okay, quick little story. John 21, after Jesus had been resurrected. Beginning verse 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Now, I want you to catch some of the flavor of this. This, is, this stuff is amazing. Go back and read the stories of Jesus appearing to people, they just keep getting blown away by it. They can't grasp it. They're not always in their right frame of mind. It, it, and once again, Peter does something interesting here. He didn't ever lose his personality. 
So Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who it was. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, said to whom? Said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net, uh, the net full of fish. But they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come here and have breakfast. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And they're still just acting weird, and they're, they don't, I mean, it didn't change his appearance. He looked the same, and they just couldn't grasp it. And Peter just lunges into the water. He's just so astounded. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What did he say to him the first time he saw him? Follow me. Simple. Feed my lambs. Follow me. It's over. There's no big ceremony. There's no groveling on Peter's part. There's no, Jesus just said, follow me, and that makes everything okay. How many times did he ask him? Oh, gosh. You know, don't let the fact that he asked him three times elude you because he did that for a purpose. He had to just open that wound 
and clean that wound out and get the gangrene out and then close it up and let it heal forever. No festering wound was he going to leave. So we asked him three times. And when he did, man, that hurt. That hurt. But it was over after that. Completely over. Oh, that's interesting. It's over for us, too. And when you falter, do you have to grovel before God and win your favor back? No. No, 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 no. And he didn't either. So after this, the disciples wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches an incredible sermon convincing the very ones who crucified Jesus that Jesus was indeed the Christ. His testimony was redeemed in short order, and so has yours. Now, I'm going to bring up just a very quick little story because... You might say, well, you know, that's all really fine and good. And Peter, um, he got over it, and he just went on to be this great apostle. And you know what? Sanctification takes a lifetime. Salvation happens just like that. But for God to clean us up and make us the white bride that he wants us to be, you know, we, we have to work at it, bow our knee to him, and keep doing that. Um, Peter still had his personality and his faults and his flaws. 17 years later after this event, 17 years, he's in Galatia. There's this huge row going on between the Judaizers and the Gentile Christians. And the Judaizers are just still struggling to let go of their Judaism. And they're wanting to circumcise all the Gentiles. And Paul says, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. You're not going to add anything to the gospel of Jesus. As a matter of fact, who are you, the Judaizers are saying, how can you Gen Jews be eating with the Gentiles, which they had been doing for a long time, so certain men came from James. James represented the Jerusalem church, the high church, the, the Judaistic church. And they come to Galatia. And Peter is under great peer pressure. And he stops eating with the Gentiles. Now, all that seems kind of nonchalant. It was a huge deal, so much so that Paul said, when I came I saw that Peter was not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, and I opposed him to his face. As a matter of fact, even Barnabas was led astray. And Paul corrected the problem. Now, you never see another word about that. You don't. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter, Peter says, talks about Paul as the dear apostle Paul. So apparently, Peter learned his lesson and said, you know what? You're right, and we're going to correct this problem. And he moved on. It didn't become a big deal, but Paul wasn't going to let it stand. He dealt with it. So don't think. You can't say, oh, well, you know, it's all great, and the apostle, and he, mm -mm. he struggled nearly 20 years after the event with a 
really the same issue, and that is fear and pressure, and he caved in. He corrected it, he moved on, and then listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, us, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Never, ever, ever think that you have gone beyond the arm, the love, the power, the mercy, the tenderness, the preciousness of God. Not ever. If Peter could just deny him in his great time of need, man, we not going to do anything that's, that can separate us from him. No way. So be So we're going to celebrate exactly what Bruce is talking about, uh, this incredible feast. We are family. Everyone that has said yes to Jesus, we're family, we're yoked, and so we get this incredible feast because of, of what Bruce uh, just beautifully described, and it has everything to do about Jesus and how he, he paid the price so that we could live in freedom, so that we could live in freedom for us and live out of our identity of him day in and day out. So that's what we're celebrating, that when you take the bread and you take the cup, that we're saying together that we are united through him and that we are celebrating the fact that this is our temporary home and that he is coming to, to set this place completely free when he comes back. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you. It's an amazing night. You're an amazing God. And so I look forward to communing with everyone here, our family, together in this great feast of union. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
already there. Every bit of the spirit that is ever going to be in us is already in us. So God, sometimes we just have to call it out. That we just have to operate in the more because it's already there.